yeah, I, I think this is something that, you know, we, we can all try to, to just, as ourselves on a personal level, get rid of this idea that people who are disabled have to change. Mm. change. Yeah. You know, you have to change your mind. It's not they have to change. Yeah. And before we get started with the new episode, if you like the podcast and you would like to support it, you can now become a member of the podcast via Steady, which is a crowdfunding platform set up to support independent journalism and podcasting, amongst others. And I joined this platform so I can dedicate more time to this podcast and dedicate more time and energy to producing it and to find new interesting people to talk to and doing research for the episodes. So yeah, if you like what you have been hearing in the past month and if you would if you like the project and would like to support it further, I would really appreciate even just a tiny little donation. And yeah, of course, if you cannot or what don't want to, you're also super loved and welcome on this platform because I really want to still offer everything for free because I believe that this should be accessible to everyone. So in any case, enjoy this episode with Steph. Hello and welcome to this episode of Queering the Perspective, the podcast. Today I'm talking with Steph about the topic of disability and accessibility. Hello, Steph. Hi, hello. So before we get started, I would like you to introduce yourself. So yeah, just whatever you want to talk about. And um, then one question, one random question that I have is now that it almost feels like summer already, what is your favorite summer activity? Ooh, both cool questions. So to introduce myself, hello, my name is Steph. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a non-binary queer law master student, soon to be legal professional, I hope, um, uh, who has an in, I have an interest in human rights, including LGBT rights, women's rights, and disability rights. Um, my master's thesis is about accessible housing, which is uh, accessible housing within disability, which is the topic of today. Um, it's like a, it's an interest that is um, very close to my heart, as I am a disabled person, and well, I have ADHD, and my grandmother is also disabled. She has a physical disability. And to answer your second question about the summer activity, something that I really love to do is to just be in Upper Austria and chill on the lake with my partner and friends. Cute. Nice. So then to start with disability, maybe can you give us a brief definition of um, what you would consider, yeah, disability to be because maybe not everyone knows so well or is so acquainted with the different facets of it yeah for sure so uh just to make it clear to you, to your listeners of course i come from a legal perspective so i am doing um, a master's in law um and especially the topic of my thesis it is about disability so when i am talking about a kind of definition it will first come from, you know, a legal perspective. Mm -hmm. So when we are talking about disability, the kind of definition that I am giving is coming from the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, or CRPD for short. So when I do talk about this convention, I would just say CRPD. 
Um, and to just give a bit of a contextual background about this uh, treaty, it is a human rights treaty of the United Nations intended to protect the rights and dignity of persons with disabilities. And it's mm. been effective since 2008. And currently there are 163 countries that have signed to this okay. treaty. And the whole thing about this convention is to promote and protect and to ensure the, few, uh, the full enjoyment of human rights for persons with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Something to just, you know, make sure that they are treated with, dig- with dignity and people do see them as people. So, as this is the convention, that as with this human rights convention, it takes this perspective that uh, people with disabilities should be treated, um, you know, with dignity and, you know, just live a quality life. Um, the definition that they do give, it isn't something that is like, totally like a definition a definition it kind of rec- it kind of recognizes that disability itself is on a spectrum so for me to just say so within the convention under article one the convention kind of character sees uh, disabilities uh, to just say it clearly that the convention sees persons with disabilities to include those who have a long-term physical, mental, intellectual, or sensory impairment Mm -hmm. in interaction with various barriers may hinder their full and effective participation in society on an equal basis with with others. So in this sense, we see that it is a spectrum, which is good because people, when they do think about disabilities, they might tend to just... um, focus on a physical disability yeah right mm-hmm. yeah that you have this like person in a wheelchair on like a poster mm-hmm. promoting diversity and to promote the inclusion of people with disabilities but in fact that there's actually many disabilities that you cannot even see mm-hmm. you know that is right like it does it does mention uh, mental intellectual I personally don't like the word intellectual but you know it's law it's old school so hmm. it's something that it does recognize that you know disabled people come in different forms yeah you know yeah and how do you see the sort of current perception of um, people with disabilities like in our in our society, like in our in our media or in our education, what is yeah, what is the representation of it? Well, um, if we can just take this convention, of course, it was re- it it takes a model. Well, it takes a social model of disability, um, which kind of means that it um, understands disability as a relation between an individual and their social environment. Mm-hmm. So it it kind of understands that the exclusion of people with certain physical and mental um, characteristics form domains of social life. So like the, like it is not there. It's not the, it's not the problem of the person with disabilities. Right. It's society that creates yes. barriers. Mm. And this is uh, like this kind of disability theory is something that is embedded in this international convention it takes this perspective that it isn't like disabled people don't have to uh, change it's not a problem with them it's a problem with society and that um, the the thing that i said uh, about that it's a problem with society this kind of perspective that it is the fault of the disabled person is seen within the medical model 
which is another theory of disabilities. So to answer your question, <laughs> um, I do feel that people with disabilities, even though we do have these international conventions, there's still a lot of discrimination. Mm. And um, I think the most um, hurtful discrimination that does exist from my perspective as a disabled person is a societal perception of disabled people in the fact that you know when we what we do see in media or even in co or even in conversation is that people with disabilities are infantilized and they are not seen as human they're even seen as less than as less than and this is something that is not acceptable because being disabled it's 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 nothing wrong it's just the way that you are and yeah. you know you shouldn't feel bad for it you shouldn't but you shouldn't be uh, infantilized you know everyone is a sexual being of course if they want to be and something that the media does have is this concept of inspirational porn uh, okay so when we do view or think of people with disabilities we think they should be inspirational for us so if we do like if you just think about when you think about people with disabilities especially in you know, in sporting, you think of the Paralympics. Mm. It's a wonderful thing because, you know, it does kind of show that inclusivity that, you know, people with disabilities, they are doing sport. But the whole rhetoric is like, wow, there's this disabled person, they are yeah. blind, and they can play sport. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. It. It's, you know, As if it's so surprising. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, for any listeners that want to kind of go into this topic, a really good... TED Talk that I would recommend. Um, it's by Stella Young, who is a disability activist, and the the name of the title of the talk is "I'm Not Your Inspiration." Thank you very much. And it uh, talks about this thing about um, media. Like, if you're a disabled person, you're either inspirational or you are lazy. Hmm. I think that's that's so interesting because I see here a lot of parallels in to how the discourse around transgender and gender non-conforming people is oftentimes. So you either have a transgender or gender non-conforming person as being like a scum and as being a non-human, not worthy of existence and just, you know like legitimizing having like inflicting violence upon them or you have on the other hand to this ultra fetishization sexualization and celebration of a gender non-conforming or transgender person when you say like wow you can you are a writer and you're transgender and that is so inspirational and you really like move me and it's so you are so strong and you're so fabulous and you're so special you know and For me, it always seems like that it doesn't really come from, you know, a place of heart. It doesn't come from a place of compassion and honest inspiration or like honest excitement. Mm. But rather it is, as you said, it is the sort of othering process that you can never just be normal, right? You can never just be like an abled body person or you can never be like a cisgender person, but you always need to be sort of put in this extra category and of course it's nicer to be in a positive extra category than in a negative extra category but still you are being it's being suggested that something about you is just not in the norm yes and it's very important that you made this point because you know it's like you said something about you is not the norm but then who is saying that it's not the norm exactly it comes from society and it's not even that people with disabilities are 
forming their own narrative. The narrative is coming from people who don't even have, you know, a disability. And um, I can also see kind of a um, uh, a similarity when you were talking about um, people who are trans uh, transgender and, you know, all the violence that, that comes against them. It's the same thing with people with disabilities. Like people with disabilities and also trans uh, gender people, they are not public property. They are mm. people, and I think that the thing where you know there are disabled people, like I can say, my grandmother, she um, has a physical disability. She was born with polio in a time where they didn't have uh, vaccines for that, and uh, so it's kind of like a, a slow deterioration over the years to the point where now she's wheelchair bound, and she has told me of stories where, for example, she'll be. Um, in, in the street um, or when my mother was, was younger she was in the hospital with them and you know people would stare at her or ask her like wow like um, who did this to you who impregnated you and this these are strangers and I think this kind of you know weird awkward disgusting questions and assumptions um, this is something that also transgender people, queer people also have to face. You know, if you are just expressing yourself in the way that you, you seem fit to, someone will just stare at you or ask you why you're wearing this or who do you think you are. And, you know, I think, if, yeah, it's a connection, but I think people with disabilities, they still face this. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot. And particularly also the audacity that you think that you now have the right to assert your opinion about somebody else's feelings or somebody's livelihood i think for me is also very telling of how you how people are not aware of their positionality within society you know that 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 you think you know you think a little bit like everything belongs to you right and you have the you have the right and the almost the obligation to like ask and then to to pity and to to, to just not meet someone on an equal footing but instead to see someone as more like a like a case right more like a, as a as a patient almost you know something that needs to be like taken care of or being treated yeah yeah, and then this perfectly links into ableism because if we do mm. look into the definition of what ableism is, ableism is a discrimination and societal prejudice against people who have disabilities or people who are perceived to be disabled. And it's it's all like get, getting getting rid of ableism is about abolishing the characteristics of people who are solely just uh, defined by the by their disability and the idea that if you are um, disabled, you are inferior. Like, like, like there is this like inferiority, or you are less, you are less than people who don't have disabilities. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I think this is something that you know we, we can all try to, to just as ourselves on a personal level get rid of this idea that people who are disabled have to change. Mm. Change. Yeah. You know, you have to change your mind. It's not they have to change. Yeah. Yeah, to see to see it as their problem, to see it as something that they need, they are in need of fixing in mm -hmm. a sense, you know. And it's not just like maybe we can also do something to accommodate, mm -hmm. to accommodate diverse experience. And then the, and I think there again, it really relates also to other my marginalized groups like queer people, like trans people, like racialized people, and really it's 
it's it's not you know like their own marginalization is not their own fault but it's the like it's the oppressor's fault it's a it's a system that can that refuses i mean it could you know it could make space and it could provide sort of uh, a livelihood for everyone but it also chooses to focus on this like dominating group yeah and i think that that is very interesting because um and if you want maybe we can also link this with accessibility because of course you can make changes as a society yeah. but you don't want to yeah yeah for sure so as you already mentioned accessibility i wanted to tap into that a bit more and um ask you how in what in what ways are is accessibility not given for people with disabilities at the moment well that's a very uh broad question because uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot there's, there's there's many uh uh layers to that so maybe let's take it in a simple sense so like i said in the beginning um, I am a law student and I am doing um, my thesis about accessibility and something that I'm looking into is housing accessibility. So it's about making sure that uh, people who do live dis- people who do live with disabilities are, are able to just use their home and to yeah, just like we all are, the ability to just get up, make a cup of tea or coffee or chill and cook our favorite meal. These are very simple things for able-bodied people, Mm. people who don't have mobility issues. But for example, if you have a mobility issues and your, um, like your door, I forgot the name, like the, what is this called? The frame? Yeah, your door frame, (laughs) your door frame, maybe you can't fit your chair in properly. Yeah. And one, so like, you know, you can't get through with your wheelchair and then if you're trying to cook, perhaps uh, where the stove is, it's too high because mm. the chair is already low. You probably have to crouch a bit. And for me, that is not the way that people should live. Yeah. You know, um, the, the right to housing, this is a human right. Mm. have the right to housing. And for me, my, my, my opinion or what I think accessible housing is, accessible housing is adequate housing. These two go in hand. If there are any of those interested in law, um, under the CRPD, accessibility is under Article 9, and adequate housing is under Article 24, so I can remember. But, you know, it's about, you know, having these rights and giving people with uh, disabilities just, yeah, just to be able to just be, just use what they should be able to use, you know? Mm-hmm. Because why is it easier for able-bodied people, people who don't have mobility issues, to just go around, go around their their days and you know live live in in homes and it's not a problem because this is it, this is a structural problem because homes are not built to take into account that people don't have the same needs and even if you try to build. Um, a home that is accessible for people with disabilities, not each person has the same mobility issue. Yeah. And I think this is also a thing when people think about disabilities, they just, especially a physical disability, they try to clamp it up in the same. So, okay, you have a disab- physical disability, your needs are the, are the same as a blind person, or your needs are the same as, yeah, so someone who has a bigger wheelchair or someone who's on crutches. You know, it's about learning that everyone is different and coming from a legal perspective, I'm actually like reading into laws and I'm starting to realize that even if there are laws to kind of allow this sense of accessibility, 
The laws don't make sense. Why? Because the laws are written by people who are able-bodied and mm. don't know how it is to live in this situation. Mm. And the kind of conclusion that I'm trying to put within my thesis that in order to improve the situation of access- accessibility, it's very important that you engage the disabled community with the lawmakers, with both yes. the stakeholders, i.e. the municipalities, yes. which are actually giving them the resources. Because if you just give a, a disabled person a home and there, and, and, and there is no kind of communication and then there is an issue, like... You know, how can you know what the issue is if you don't understand? Hmm. The, for you to understand, you have to listen to the person with disabilities. And there is a lack of listening. There's a lack of understanding within the law. And this is actually an issue that I'm seeing, <laughs> um, that that there might be laws that are written, but they don't make sense. It's just, yeah, so that, that is a problem. Yeah. Well, I have... Um... So much, so much to say, so much. You triggered a lot of thought processes now when you were speaking, I just noticed, which was really nice. And first, firstly, I noticed I was thinking about my own home and or about in general, like res- I'm residing currently in the Netherlands as you too. And I think there is a certain type of architecture within the Netherlands that builds houses very small and instead like on like various levels and i'm thinking about my own house like it would be completely impossible to get in you know with a wheelchair there's no chance because there's not even a ground floor like the ground floor leads to the first floor with like a super um steep staircase where the living room is so it is it would be impossible for example for a person with a wheelchair to enter this house and i think that is quite common within the netherlands so I'm really wondering, like, so yeah, that it really makes this point clear that you that you said about people with disabilities not actually drafting the legislation to make accessible housing. Yeah, and I think it's the thing is that um, people with disabilities they're not often, unfortunately, in positions of power. Mm-hmm. They're not really yes. in the law making. Yeah. thing you know or for example like you said uh, i'm sure you were renting this privately but what would happen if you are a uh, disabled a person with a physical disability let's say wheelchair user and you're on social housing and mm. you want to you know live in a place but all the homes that are provided by your municipality that are social housing you can't really use them so what happens to that person why is this the case anyways so these are the kind of questions that I'm trying to put forward within my thesis and to just try to answer, like, how can we change this? Okay, if the municipality has a specific budget, okay, we're going to build, like, new homes and we have 20 disabled people in our community that need the homes, don't just build them. Talk to them first and ask, mm. what do you need in your apartment? What do you need in your apartment? Yeah. You know, just to have that uh, conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like taking this needs-based approach mm-hmm. is really key when it comes to, I think, a lot of marginalized groups also, that actually asking the person what is necessary or like how can we help or even better putting people in place that that have the experience themselves, you know, like having a disabled person planning the houses, you know, or like having a like hiring someone that is knowledgeable in the field. And I think that so many times also about 
again about queer people or about like racialized people that a lot of the legislation to supposedly like anti-discriminatory legislation is drafted by people that are not affected by this very form of discrimination so then in the end you end up missing the point in a lot of in a lot of times because you just maybe don't think a certain step further or you don't consider different contexts yeah yeah i completely agree and it just uh hones this point even if things are good on paper they're not good on paper. yeah yes. and i think this is something that we see if we're also going to continue the theme of accessibility let's maybe take it a bit closer to home not nothing to do with building regulations and law let's <laughs> talk about education educational yeah. accessibility so for example i'm a student i have a disability i have adhd dyslexia and of course most universities uh, they do have like a um a disability kind of uh, office but for me i've had to deal with a lot of barriers throughout my whole process because mm. um i i'm like with my own disability experience I, I wasn't diagnosed as having ADHD when I was a child. I was diagnosed with having ADHD midway through my master's. So, you know, um, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, and, and, and this is my master's. I did my undergrad, you know, and all of a sudden, like, you know, I'm starting to realize that there's a lot of difficulties. And for me, for a person who's neurodiverse... So kind of on like a, uh, a different scale, because if you know anything about ADHD, it's all to do with, you know, our minds, our wonderful, creative, crazy minds, but very differently to the neurotypical people. Um, and like this kind of educational system with the six weeks exams was very difficult for me to kind of get used to. I didn't find it very um, mm. accessible in the way that I learn. So only through being in an environment that is so rigorous in terms of education, I started to realize that, damn, I actually, <laughs> I have a disability. This is how I actually started to realize because when I was studying in the UK, um, the kind of, um, yeah, the kind of university I went to. It was very hippie. It was very inclusive. And I actually saw quite a lot of people with disabilities within my university. It was, but when I came here, you know, of course, the education is, yeah, it, it, it was just, there's a lot of barriers. So it just kind of made me think that um, even within education, um, that there is a lack of accessibility depending on, on, on the school as well. I think it's a very important point. And... Again, like this is an invisible disability, right? Which makes it so difficult to to really make it visible, right? Or to like really make to really fight for the rights of it, or to for it to be like apparent, you know? Because I think a lot of the times universities maybe do consider like is this wheelchair accessible? Hopefully, <laughs> but maybe not so much of like, okay, is this six week exam period too stressful or just difficult to handle for neurodiverse people? And I guess, yeah, what what, what would be your approach to um, tackling this issue? Like what, what could be done about it? Well, I think on a master's level, because I, I in my undergrad, I actually studied in a place. I don't know if it's very different in the UK, but... Um, in the UK, if you are a disabled student there, you get quite a lot of support. Mm -hmm. so when I was doing my undergrad in law, um, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and also anxiety. But just by having that diagnosis, I was able to have a weekly check-in with my own 
kind of personal coach. Nice. Um, wow. And I, it was very easy for me to get adjustments. I had a bit of a more uh, personal level, um, yeah, personal level with my teachers and my tutors. So it wasn't, I didn't feel like I had to beg for anything. I didn't feel like I had to like, you know, explain myself over and over again because I really felt protected. But then coming here in the Netherlands, um, I kind of thought that it was the same. Um, but no, the experience was not as bumpy. And I think something that um, disability offices or departments, something that they need to take into consideration is that the process of actually getting diagnosed with a disability is long. So I had this inkling in my brain of like, oh, yeah, something's a bit, you know, interesting. I want to get diagnosed for ADHD. You would think that it would probably take you a couple of months. It took me one year. I was one year. Oh, my God. This time I was failing courses. I Mm. lay my thesis. And of course, at this point, I didn't know what was going on with me because I knew that I was struggling, but I couldn't feel like I could get help. And I think... You know, when you're already a person that you have so, you know, so much, so like you're going through difficulties, be it mental health difficulties, you know, I think it can, it's already hard for you to access support. But when the support is not there, you're even sinking, specifically when you are in an educational way, um, in in an educational environment, it is very important to have like the specific structures to allow students to access help to gain actual help not just on paper but for you to actually feel like i can be helped and uh this is something that i felt that was uh lacking on a personal level so something i would really want um for for it to be like i feel like in universities have to have like a proper kind of um strategy when it comes to how to deal with people with disabilities Mm. not just saying that we include people with disabilities but you know actually having like an effective task force yeah um you know getting uh, um, students who have disabilities together you know and also um kind of showing that uh, disabilities come in all different forms so you know even having educational kind of seminars Mm. um educational institutional itself right yeah I think. Yeah. I touched upon this when I was recently a guest in a podcast um, made by a friend who um, it's called the student life podcast. And it's basically about different student experiences and what was what they were struggling with. And then we had a talk about pronouns and a talk about sort of like inclusivity and sensitivity. And then in the end, we reached a very similar conclusion of it is about sensitizing people. You know, it's about like raising the awareness and having doing the education but also delegating or allocating the resources to this sort of issue that you um that you really make sure that when everyone when new students come to university that everyone has a sensitivity training that everyone has a diversity inclusivity training that and also the members of staff that to just know how to accommodate the learning experience of for example, neurodiverse or non-binary or genderqueer or transgender individuals. And I think oftentimes people don't know because they've never been educated. And so I think in that sense, yeah, I think education within education uh, can be quite a key. Yeah, and also just to accept that, you know, people have different forms of learning, different environments. Um yeah, can make people thrive. And it's been very unfortunate that 
I've had friends that, for example, you know, have ADHD or have autism and they end up actually having to, you know, quit their studies because it's just too much for them. It's not that the studying and the content is too much, but the fact that the environment is not accessible for them, the fact that, you know, just the way that the curriculums are or even the teachers, they just yeah. don't acknowledge that it is that they are having difficulties. It can be very tiring for the person who already has a disability to just keep up with something. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've also had my own difficulties with this also. And I guess this really well reveals this power dynamic or this power hierarchy that I think um, sh was shining through a lot of the times when we talked about this already in the past, in the past half an hour of there's just a perceived hierarchy of existence in a sense that like some person's experiences are worthwhile to accommodate and others are not and then you yeah you determine the essence of people based on like one characteristics of their existence you know and i think you also also already said this earlier like people with disabilities are much more than a person having a disability right like they're those are also you know they they're also maybe politically active they're also lovers they're also friends they also have hobbies they have passions they have dreams they have hopes and they're not just a person with disability yeah exactly and i think you know uh, people with disabilities like i think we, we kind of have this thing in our mind where we we, we over explain things so, so too much or we can even be ableist within ourselves What do you mean with that? Well, actually, it's something that I came across, but, um, well, not ableist, but you can discriminate yourself. So, okay. society already discriminates you right. know, as being a disabled person, but then you can even go go further and, you know, that in, that discrimination is internalized. So, uh. for example, like, um, so I have ADHD and I know that I my, my mind works differently, I can go off on a tangent, I, you know, I forget things, blah, blah, blah. Um, and sometimes I would get really frustrated. I'd be like, why am I like this? I, I, I hate this part of myself. Why can't I just be normal? Why can't I just be like everyone else? Like, my partner has a normal mind. Why can't I be like him? And this is very toxic because yeah. we're already discriminated from the outside. But You know, we have to learn how to love ourselves and to really embrace how we are. It's yeah. not our fault. It is society's fault in thinking that we are less than. But who put it in our minds? Yeah. It's society. So anyone who's going through difficulties or has a disabilities, I just wanted to say that you are enough. You know, you are loved and you don't have to explain yourself. You are who you are and that's it. Take it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for this. I really got some goosebumps now um, because I think it's such an important takeaway rather than, you know, just talking about oh, these poor people and their life is so difficult, you know, like all this discrimination. But in the end, I think bringing it back to self-love, I think is so, so important to, to just perceive your own worth, even when other people deny it. And to just look in the mirror and to say like, wow, you're beautiful and your neurodiverse mind is beautiful. And I think this holds for a lot of marginalized identities that, and I can also personally really resonate with that, that you're just, your whole life, you're being told that you're not beautiful and that you're not 
worthy and that you're not enough as you said and then you internalize this really so i can really resonate with this sort of two two layers of discrimination in that sense and then yeah the key to get out of it on a very personal level is really i think of giving yourself the validation that has not been given to you as it should have and to really think to think that to really sort of deconstruct what this sort of normativity is, which I guess can be like heteronormativity, which can be like cis normativity, which can be like white normativity, white supremacy, or it can be able body normativity. And in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't say anything about you as a person. And rather it says so much more about sort of this like status quo that is so, unable to also accept that people have other minds and in, in, in fact for example like i would always think that being diverse or having a diverse experience should add something no like it is something it is a perspective that nobody else has and it is a way of functioning that other people just don't have so i think rather than it being like stigmatized and shamed it should also it could also on the other hand just totally be celebrated yeah, yeah, like, I, I think specifically, yeah, like, having, a, especially within neurodiversity, just accepting that, you know, we are different people. It's fine for different minds to work differently, and it's just something that we have to accept. But uh, kind of going into advocacy, something that I would say is that um, as people who, you know, who, who have disabilities, one thing that is important is to advocate for yourself. Put yourself first, uh, not not put yourself first in a selfish way, but, you know, just advocate for yourself. So if you see that, you know, you would need some extra support or you do see that, you know, so something is, 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 is being done to yourself and you would like a change, just say it. You're not, you're not asking for, you know, too much, for yeah. too much. Just advocate for yourself yeah. and be clear. And this yeah. is something that I've had to do, do in a personal mm. For example, like I said, with my thesis, I'm not on a delay. But if I feel like things are a bit um, difficult or I don't understand, I just ask. I make it clear. You know, I mm. advocate for myself, you know. And, yeah, I, th I think that that is something that has helped me and will help me in my life as a potentially disabled lawyer. <laughs> so I've got to advocate for myself. Mm. Everyone does too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, so like radically taking up the space, right? And just knowing that you have the right to do that and you you can really demand to be heard and you can demand to be seen. Yeah, and disrupt the st and, and disrupt the status quo. Yes. You know, you can change it, you know, but of course not everyone and like I understand not everyone can or wants to advocate for, for, for themselves. This is like a inner process because it can take energy, but it is very important, you know, to ask the questions, yeah. you know, and to know that it's not your problem. You know, it's, 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 it's not your fault that you can't do something in the way that society dictates you to do it. They should also be willing to accept the way that you do it. And, 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 and that is it. Even it can be like a simple email, for example, I'm starting a new course in period five and I know that I have ADHD. I'm just going to email my professors and be like, look, certain things are really overwhelming for me. I have ADHD. Um, if I have a problem, I'm going to reach out to you. That's it. I don't have to explain myself, you know, and just kind of putting me first in that way. 
Genau. Ja. Nodding a lot here behind the microphone. <laughs> And then maybe just uh, as, a, as a last thing, do you have tips or suggestions for people that don't have a disability that are able-bodied and on how to advocate on the behalf of people with a disability? Yes, I think uh, one thing that people can do, it's like, I think it's important not to do on behalf, but to also be part of it. Mm. You know? So to let people, you know, so to listen to people with disabilities, really listen You can also educate yourself, and I think education is the first step. So I think on the show notes, um, I will link some some documentaries, some YouTubers, some literature that anyone who's interested can read. Amazing. Um, but the first thing is listen to those. Don't 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 overstep, mm. and understand your privilege also, yeah. and just give space. And you know, don't do it for yourself, but do it for others too, together. So yeah. Nice. I think that's a really beautiful ending to this talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, I really learned a lot personally, and I think a lot of people as well, because this is such a underrepresented topic, and it affects so many people. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast, and see you soon. Bye bye. Perspective with Bela Bellissima.